Thank you for the announcements. Um, that last one is one that will fit in great with uh, the message today, because um, we're talking about living in the kingdom of God today. Is this on? Is it working? Not working right? Hey, Prague, is my pack on? I'm not sure. All right. I'll just keep talking. There it is. All right. Hey, oh, there we go. All right. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> it's good to be with you guys this morning. I know that last song did uh, set my heart on a focus of, of worship that is um, relative to the message this morning. We'll be talking about the kingdom of God. Um, if you weren't with us last week, we started a new series and um, kind of received the, the call to enter into the thin space between heaven and earth and uh, what it what the kingdom of God is and what it's all about. Um, and so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God. Uh, this, this morning in particular, we're going to be looking at living in the kingdom of God. And my heart is full this morning, right? I just, there's so many things to be excited about this morning. Um, my Niners got a win yesterday. Hey, there we go. For, oh, man. <laughs> um, I had just great times of fellowship. Uh, this just all throughout this week has been um, filling to my tank of of relationships of of relationships with specifically members of this church and people in this church that I call family and friends that we Haley and I love um, deeply, deeply love. So uh, I'm coming into this morning with um, just an extreme thankfulness and a joy. Um, feeling like this living in the kingdom of God is being lived out amongst the relationships um, that are being developed uh, here in this, in this group. And so as I look around the room, I, I do know that throughout this week there have been stories shared with me of personal joys and celebrations of things happening in their lives as well as times of sorrow and lament, um, pain, and suffering. And uh, to be able to be with you guys through the thick and the thin and to hear the stories from things going on in your lives, um, it, it really has emphasized or uh, made this topic of living in the kingdom of God that much more real for me today. Um, even this morning, I woke up and in my house, it was like a bomb went off last night. And I was just filled with joy because we had a bunch of people over watching the game and, and I could see the footprints on the ground and, you know, I, I went to get a, a spoon out for cereal this morning and there wasn't any because they're all dirty in the sink. And I was like, all right, that means we are doing something right, right? We are doing something right um, when we fellowship together, we eat together, and we enjoy each other's presence. Um, in John chapter 10, verse 10, I know I've heard the prayer this morning about the good shepherd twice, and it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. It's one of the life verses for me that I like to live by. I love having the fullness of life and experiencing the fullness of life, even though at times I may be an introvert and I like to uh, withdraw and have quiet, reflective times I know the joy in my life comes when it's being shared with friends and, and family. So in this sermon, we're going to dive into the tension of the, the kingdom being already here, but not yet. 
Okay? The idea last week was that we are living in the kingdom of God here and now. That when God taught us, or when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we can experience glimpses of the kingdom of God. We can experience it in part here and now in this lifetime, and it will all be consummated in, in death when we get to go and experience the fullness of the kingdom of God in heaven. And we're, we're going to dive into that tension this morning and explore how the experience is being lived out, the kingdom of God, what that experience of the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. This quote I got from Ken Witzma. He is, um, oh, I always forget to turn this on. Ken Witzma from Dallas Theological Seminary says, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Some of you guys may have heard this phrase before. It beckons us to gamble all, to trust radically, to come and die so that we might live. To give our lives away, giving life away is a paradox. It's losing so we can win. It's giving so we can receive. It's risking for security. It's faith. The kingdom of God means living that tension, okay? The kingdom of God is fundamentally something that is social. The kingdom of God, it's fundamentally social. It involves a membership into the the kingdom of heaven, a citizenship, a, a loyalty, and an identity that we find in the kingdom of God. As much as I can stand up here and say, I'm American, or I'm Japanese, or I'm a, a, a person of this nationality or this ethnicity, right? Ultimately, on the inside, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. My identity is in the kingdom of God. My identity is a Christian, a Christ follower, okay? So, This, the citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, really entails what our relationships will look like, what our policies, what our obligations, what the Ten Commandments, what our guiding points are in this life are defined by our citizenship under the King of God. The King of God is now the one who determines what our life should look like socially and amongst other people. Kingdom membership, it clarifies this citizenship that I am not of this world. We are not of this world. As believers in Christ, there is two kingdoms. There is a kingdom of the earth and a kingdom of heaven. And we're going to experience all kinds of tensions this year in this earthly kingdom. If you're political in any way, you know what's coming, right? Both sides of the argument are going to be competing with each other, and they're going to be pushing and pulling for your allegiance. You may have to make some decisions on where you stand politically. When you are making those decisions, I hope that you stand in those decisions first recognizing your citizenship in the kingdom of God, and secondly, recognizing your citizenship here on earth. Although a kingdom is social order, it's beyond any person. It's beyond the individuals that make choices about 
those kingdoms. We embrace or we re- reject them. This, this type of citizenship, this, this understanding of our rules that govern our lives will be determined, if we choose so, to be subject to the king of God. We are going to pledge our allegiances to them or we are going to turn our backs to them. God ultimately gives us this, this freedom to choose whether you choose this or you choose that. There's this, uh, a book that I read this last week that um, was incredible by C.S. Lewis called The Pilgrim's Regress. Okay? If you guys ever want to look it up and read it, it's a fun fictional read about a, a pilgrim who leaves the, the landlord's um, area, who, who the landlord in the story represents God, and he goes and he explores all of the different philosophies of the world neo-angular and virtue and wisdom and and he has these discussions with them till eventually well I won't give you the ending of the story but eventually you should find out that the good landlord is looking after you in the rules and the governing authority and the the commandments that he's given us the those are given for us that when we are able to be completely obedient and submissive to God that's when we'll experience true freedom. Going into um, the, the Sermon on the Mount, for me, just to explain some of the, the ways that I, I preach and I like to teach, is I like to determine the topic or the study that we're going to go, to, go through, go through, um, and, and teach on. This last week, was, that was another fundamental thing of this last week that I, I really loved, was sitting with our planning team about what we're going to teach over uh, the course of this year. And looking at some of the things that we're going to teach over the course of this year, we are going to ask you guys, uh, a few of you, to come and share your stories. Um, one of the, the series that we're planning is a storyteller series that I'm excited to hear about um, who you are and where you've come from. We're going to move into a series right after this one on the I am statements in John about who Jesus is. When Jesus uh, started to preach, he was about 30 years old, right? He had lived a pretty quiet life up until that point. And I like to believe that Jesus lived the life, the perfect sinless life, for 30 years to allow it to marinate, to allow his, his sermons that he preached, to allow the words that he spoke to his disciples to have backing to it, to have the, the, follow, the like, I've already walked this life, now I'm going to tell you about how to walk this life because I've already done it. Okay? He lived this quiet life. The only thing we really know about Jesus' uh, early adult life is that he was a contractor. Right? He was a carpenter. He, he worked in the trades, and it was pretty um, to himself. And, and you can see throughout all of Scripture, he's never saying, hey, crowds, come to me, listen to what I have to hear, what I have to say. He always found, we always see him finding time to say he withdrew from the crowds to go and pray. Right? He lived this pretty quiet life between him and God. Until it was no longer time for that, it was now time for him to share of his ministry, and he starts with this beautiful sermon 
in Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to read it. If you guys have your Bibles, um, I want you to go ahead and turn there because we're going to read through this whole chapter. When I'm preaching, I like to allow these topics that we have and and the verses that I want to go over um, extra time to sit on my heart, to play itself out in my life, um, to become more than just words that I'm speaking, but the heart behind it. Uh, If you guys know me, I tend to be a very heart-driven kind of guy. Like I make a lot of my decisions based on where my heart is leading. And in Matthew chapter 5 is when Jesus gives one of the greatest sermons of all time, and I would do it injustice if I were to try to dissect it and preach it differently on my own. So I want to I want to read this whole thing for us today, starting with the Beatitudes here. Now, when he saw the crowds, and this is another example of this, Jesus said, there's too many people down here. And he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. (laughs) I love it. If your life gets too busy and there's just too much going on, take the weekend, go to the mountains. I'm giving you permission right now, miss church, right? Don't come to church on a Sunday. If you need time to get away from people and away from things and have a real Sabbath and to be on your own so that you can hear from God personally, skip church. Go somewhere on a mountainside. Sit down. Jesus did it all the time. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at the words Jesus uses to say these are the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. He uses words like poor, mourning, meek, hungering, thirsting, mercy, pureness in heart, peacemakers, persecuted. When we're looking at the two kingdoms The kingdom of the world is going to tell you the opposite. The kingdom of the world is is going to tell you that if you you want to be successful, you are rich. You are are proud. You are joyful. You are are the man. You are established. You have have built an entire structure or kingdom that people come and, and they eat lavishly in your kingdom and you have these massive parties and, and you don't have to show mercy because you're on top and um, you can do whatever you need to do and the, the, the goal is to win the battle and to win the war. Jesus takes the script which has been delivered to us and he says, I don't think you get it. The kingdom of the earth is flipped from the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is an upside-down kingdom. 
in our earthly realm, we seek independence, freedom, and success as an establishment of our kingdom. But Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven with dependence on God, submission, humility, mercy, and ultimately persecution as an indicator of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. How can that be? How, how can these things that, that seem so contrary to a joy-filled, peaceful life be things that are indicators of a kingdom of heaven? In Matthew chapter 20, a little bit further in the book, he says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Greatness is found in serving others rather than seeking power and authority. When we take Jesus' life as an example, everything gets flipped upside down. It's no longer about what I can do for myself or what I can do even for my family. Now it's about what can I do for my enemy or the ones have hurt me or the walking into the pain, walking into the persecution, knowing that we're standing on righteousness and knowing that we have a king who is in control of all of these things. How do you understand power and how do you understand leadership? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his followers to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. This radical command challenges the world's understanding of justice and retaliation. What is true justice? What does justice look like? And I just want to read through the rest of this chapter here because so much of this uh, in here that I would do um, or that I would preach can be better said by, by Jesus. So it's a long section of Scripture, but I'm going to continue reading this because there's things in here that he can say with words that if I were to say them, you guys might not be my friends anymore, <laughs> right? Okay, so let's read them. Uh, just continuing, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and false, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You know, I want to pray first before I read this long section of Scripture. Can we pray? God, you gave us these words in sermon form. You preached these words to your disciples and to those who are around him so that their lives might be transformed, so that we would understand this, this kingdom of heaven our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors, our lives are to be defined by these words. And God, I pray that as we read them, they would not just be words that we read from pages in a book, but that they would be alive and living, convicting, cutting to the deepest parts of our heart and soul. God, we pray that, that these would be the words of God, that these words of God would that we, our ears would be open to hear them right now and our hearts would be open to receive them as words of truth 
We pray this in your name. Amen. Verse 13. You, you church, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people with a lamp or light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You, church, are the salt and the light. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Murder. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Adultery. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Divorce. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Oaths. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Justice. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, 
Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Love for your enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know that's a long section of Scripture. But when Jesus preached, he delivered it all. He's saying this sermon all at one point, saying, hey, and I, this, is, this is my personal um, analysis of this sermon. He was sitting with his 12 disciples. He knew exactly what each of them needed to hear. Someone in that group of men was struggling with adultery. Someone in that group of men was struggling with anger and murder in his heart. He would look in this room right now. He could analyze. He can speak. He wants to speak directly into the exact parts of your life that you need to hear right now. That is the kingdom of heaven, that he knows his people so well. And he's speaking these words, and he's given us these words. And maybe for some of you, those words hit, like different sections of that scripture hit you in a different way of like, oh man, I really need to work on my anger. I have been mad at my brother. If you know my brother, that's, <laughs> you have been mad at my brother, you know. I got a reason. Um, and he knows that I need to hear that. He knows where I struggle. He knows the pains I have. He knows the wisdom I need. And he gives it freely. Further on, I'm not going to read the rest of chapter 6, but he continues going in chapter 6, and he talks about giving to the needy and prayer and fasting and treasures in heaven and worry. Right? If you need to hear those words, I'm not going to read them all right now for the sake of time, but I want you to sit in this scripture. People have done, pastors have done sermons for years on this one section of scripture. This is a sermon that can be dissected and analyzed over and over and over again. But I want you to allow the words of the Bible to just wash over you. By the end of it, he kind of distills all of this, right? I got to go to tour a distillery yesterday, and it was cool to see how they start with hundreds and hundreds of pounds of grain and water, and it distills down into a smaller amount. And then they take that smaller amount, and they, they steam it up, and it distills down into a, a smaller amount. 
Jesus is, is taking all of these, these ways of living and he's distilling them down. He's saying, hey, this is the grand picture. Now here, this is what's more important. And he's taking all of that and he's saying, this is now what's more important until he gets it down to the smallest version that he can possibly say. And he just says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these other things are ways of living. They can all be distilled down to the great commandment. And then in verse, uh, seven, or chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. We have two choices, you guys. We can enter through the wide gate of the earthly kingdom. If you want to, and especially here in America, you have opportunity. This is a land of opportunity you can go, and if you're ambitious enough, if you work hard enough, if you strive hard enough and put in enough hours at work and, and save and save and save, you can build an earthly kingdom that's grandiose. And people will look at you and say, man, that guy's successful. Look at him. He's got the big house. He's got the cars. He's got the dogs. He's got the wife and kids. And he's got everything that everybody could ever want. You can do that. The choice is there. If that is your ambition, I believe you can succeed in that. Jesus says, narrow is the road that leads to life. What if this was no longer, what if the American dream, this establishment of an earthly kingdom, was no longer the end goal, retirement and success? What if, what if we started thinking about becoming poor in spirit. What can I do to give away my earthly kingdom? Why do we fast? What is true fasting? If, if I withstand from food to experience hunger, could that hunger really represent a hunger and thirst for righteousness? What if we flipped this kingdom upside down and we put feet to it and said, I'm, I'm no longer seeking more, bigger, or different. But I'm, I'm seeking now a hungering, a thirsting, and a complete dependence on God. That's a hard teaching. It's really, really a hard, hard teaching because for many of you that means changing some of the ways that we live i heard a quote that said life begins at the end edge of your comfort zone i'm gonna be honest i've been struggling internally with stagnancy complacency here myself even though I'm striving and I'm doing a lot of things, like my life is extremely busy, 
I want to see movement towards the kingdom of heaven. I don't just want these certain earthly things. I want so much more for the kingdom of God to be expanded. When was the last time you prayed with someone to receive the gift of salvation in their life? Have I encouraged those discussions or conversations with people that I know God has placed in my life? Where have I taken steps of faith saying, oh, this is big and scary, but I want to move towards it? Where have I given my money, my time, my talents, and my treasures? Is it for the expansion of the kingdom of God, or has it been for my own earthly kingdom? Have I sat in quietness and submission before God so long that I've developed a hunger and a thirst for more righteousness has my life lost the reverency, the, the authority, the, the majesty, the awe and wonder of who God is? Where is my life headed? What are the decisions that I'm making? Are they being made to establish my kingdom? Or are they being made so that God's kingdom may be expanded? I want to challenge you all to live in that In those decisions, I had one more quote, I didn't put it up there, but it says, this gospel without feet is no gospel at all. If we sit in church on Sunday morning and just consume, consume, and consume, say, I got my fix for the week, it's no gospel at all. That's why I was excited about Lizzie's uh, announcement that we're going to have a luncheon because it's one step, it's the first step towards getting our, our feet back out there into the community and doing some things for our community surrounding us. I desire great things for us to be a part of that will lead to the expansion of the kingdom of God. Let's do it. Let's start making those decisions saying, I'm going to, to, to live this way in a kingdom that, that lives upside down from the way that the world presents itself to us. Okay? All right. uh, worship team, if you guys want to come back up, I'm going to just close this in prayer. Last week we did have some good prayer times around the edges of the church of people who were in need, and I want to make that opportunity available for you again. Okay? So if you guys would like prayer, we do have some people that are willing to pray with you um, around the room to seek one of them out. And uh, let's pray together. Surrounding the throne were a crowd of witnesses, uh, the elders and the angels. And they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, we are citizens of your kingdom that we may be called children of God. God, I pray that we would be the salt and light to this dark world. That we would live as citizens of the, of the kingdom of heaven. That we would make our decisions in this life to be ones that benefit the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Jason or the kingdom of John or whoever I may be. 
but of who you are, God, the great and glorious King of kings, Lord of lords. You are good, good God. Lord, we worship you. In your name.